50 to go. Mr. Brightside ambles up and race clear. Then Pinstripe pounding at attrition behind them. But Mr. Brightside, 100 metres to go. We'll go back to back. Too good. Supremely good. One of my two legs. Now on PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. G'day, thanks so much for tuning in to our year-round carnival podcast where each and every Monday we have a look at the best racing in Melbourne and Sydney with a bit of uh, bit of work there from the killers and of course, Mad Hill's fantastic call, the return of Mr. Brightside. Now, Mr. Brightside won a group two. Fangirl won the Group 1. Well, are we starting with the Group 2? Well, just have a look at the performance on the day. Vince Accardi from Daily Sectionals. These Hayes boys, have they got this horse just up and about and flying? <laughs> yes, good morning, Ralphie. Wasn't it just some great early racing? Just great and the Hayes team. No surprise is probably the right word to use that this is a horse that's obviously been showing super talent and it came out first up. Interesting. We should touch on the lanes. They play a big role on the day. And that track, you know, i got to give them credit. It was uh, – I don't reckon there was a lot of hoses out, which is what I love. <laughs> so before we get into uh, the performance of Mr. Brightside, we will start at Caulfield. And, and as I said, this actually goes to a, to a broader point that you often make, Vince, that your work has no uh, – it's a naked scale. So you don't say, well, that was a faster race because it was a Group 1 compared to Group 2. You just let the clock tell you what it did. As far as yeah. Caulfield was concerned, the rail was out 9 metres. Vince, all I ever want – all I ever want is predictability. Now, the lanes didn't move because <laughs> no. they never move. So just once again, for those who don't quite get it, if the rail's at nine metres, why is that advantage to be three, four, you know, up to ten horses off the fence? Well, the reality is the fastest part of the track starts at lane ten, which means one off the fence when the rail's in the nine position. In other words, if you are hard up against the fence when the rail's in the nine position, you're actually in lane ten. And this is the beginning of the speed, particularly in the home turn. And the wider you get, the faster it gets. So example, if you're if the rail's true and you're in lane one, and we'll call that zero, and then there's the second horse, horse B, and it's in lane ten, it's got about a length and a half to a length to or up to two lengths advantage against the horse that's hardest against the fence. And then if you can get out to lane 20, 18, 20, 22, you pick up another length, length and a half. So in other words, between lane one, horse A, and lane 18, 20, horse C, the difference is around three and a half to four lengths in variance. That's what the difference is. So in two weeks' time, the Memsey will be run, the rail will be back to true, and the fundamental here is, and we're just giving this a nice little uh, re-education at the start of the spring, the fundamental is it's going to be so much harder to get out deep in the lanes because you're starting lane one rather than starting lane nine. Correct, and you need so many different advantages. So what happens is some horses may look better than what they really are, some. Yeah. Particularly, I'm, mainly it's a lot to do with the lower profile horses. And the other thing that I wanted to note about Caulfield, which I haven't seen this in quite some time, <laughs> well, good on them, whatever they did, but to have that 400 metre section, 
virtually faster than any other pre- part of the track blew my mind, right? I just go, no way. You're talking about before the home turn. Yeah. 800 to 400. Yeah, so, but in particular, when you get inside that 650-metre mark, yep. all the way to the 350-metre mark, to give you an example, we're running from – when you hit the 600, the track speed was about plus 1.36. When we got into that 400-metre section, it was plus 2.94. That's a length and a half quicker. Usually, that's the worst part of the track. So whatever they've done – and then, sorry, and then we go down to the finish line, that last 200 metres is plus 1.34, almost identical. So the big swing – was in the 400 and then of course to the 800 meter mark it was a little bit of it was a bit mixed because of the race shapes it was really got more to do with the speed and the type of impact from a wind point of view other than you know the track condition but i still felt that that track ran very very close to you know bang on somewhere between a g3 and a g4 so that that was fantastic and we got to see what was under the bonnet for sure in the Lawrence because, Vince, they looked like they were going fast. Were they going fast? The Lawrence, uh, sorry, Ralph Lawrence. Yeah, race uh, on Mr. Brightside's. Uh, oh, yeah, yep. We're going to start right there. Got it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, here we go. Yes, well, 5.4 lengths faster than standard to the 800-metre <laughs> mark. So they were definitely moving. But what's always the, the big step is when you talk about that high pressure, it was – actually sustained in the mid-race, in the mid-race. I mean, Buffalo River was still travelling 5.4 above between the 8 and the 400 as well. So that first two splits is super, super high pressure. And it did force all the horses to have to really engage with heavy mid-race moves at a high level. Because sometimes, like, give you an example, Mr. Brightside, 2.4 lengths faster than standard to, for the first 600 metres. The mid-race squeeze for that horse was only 3.6, but it was at such a high level. I mean, plus six was the actual um, speed in terms of the eight to the 400. So it's like, a, it's like a, a second faster than the standard for that section. It's so hard to do. I mean, you can, you can do big squeezes when you're going slow and you don't have like a heavy above benchmark between the eight and the 400 but when you're at that sort of level that that's well we have seen races of course over the years where it's been higher pressure but usually i see that we've seen it high quality three-year-old races we might see it in a race like a cox plate where you have these two phenomenal sections but for a lot of horses resuming first up to be put under that pressure that just sort of shows you how ready they are well, no doubt. And and so it's a fast and faster race shape for, yep. you know, because the three roughies were up front, Buffalo River, Western Empire, who, you know, unfortunately it looks like these WA best is behind him and, and Edison <laughs> who who gassed right out unsurprisingly after a massive career PB at Flemington. So where do you want to be? You wanted to be in that three to six length band and that's where exactly where Craig Williams had Mr. Brightside. That also where Mickey D had pinstriped and Vince, I suppose in hindsight, I'm, and you know, I'm just talking about exactly where the finishing position were rather than saying it was hard to find Mr. Brightside, which it wasn't. But, you know, if we're talking the old class system, pinstriped uh, at second to pounding six, there was 0.7 of a length and a length and a quarter, length, 1.8 lengths in front of those five was Mr. Brightside. That's a group one class runner. 
Absolutely. No question about it. And then, of course, the big thing is from there is we just went into some of those splits, but it's really good to note what's that all mean. I mean, overall, Mr. Brightside was returned to 2.9 lengths faster than standard or an IVR figure, best performance of the day. And if I compare it to like what it did first up last campaign, which was off a much shorter break. Very, very similar. That Sandown Hillside run was 3.2 faster than standard. And if we go back to campaign before 13th of the 8.22 at Corford, that was plus 1.4. So you can see that I feel this horse, Mr. Brightside, has definitely come back better overall horse. Because I look at that race shape at Sandown last preparation, Ralphie, I mean, no speed early, 7.4 lengths below benchmark. And then then it had a phenomenal last two splits. I always say it's a lot tougher to do it up the front. Yep. If you can have two big splits on the first and second section, it's a lot harder to do. And I also feel it carries you better into the future. It may have a jaded run depending on where you back up, how fast and all that, it can knock you around. But after that, it will pay huge dividends because the anaerobic threshold and and the aerobic threshold that you get from that is far more than just a big sprint home. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's an old truism, but it stood the test of time for a reason. I remember Mark Lamborn, the old punter show, uh, saying it, Vince, uh, what you show first up is often what you're going to do that prep. Yep. Yep, Absolutely. <laughs> And that's a that's a beauty there from that from that particular horse. And just to put a bow on that, uh, what you just said about the slow tempo at uh, at Sandown, taking away even your benchmarking events, just for people trying to learn this system and what the, just the importance of knowing that every race is different. At Sandown, first up when he was fantastic behind Jackano in that or best last 600, 400, 200 of the day on Saturday. The 74th best last 600, the 75th best last 400, and the 76th best last 200 of the day. So that is just an underlining of what happens compared in a high-pressure race shape compared to a soft and building-pressure race shape, even though both quality performances on the day. Yeah, for sure, Ralphie. I also feel there is this possibility that Mr. Brightside may have come back even stronger. I'm just looking at some you know, subtle pieces of intel that gives me some insight that potentially we've got a stronger horse again, which means that if you're going to be stepping up to, let's say, 2000 this time, I mean, I don't know whatever their plans are, but if, if they have any of those plans to attack a Cox Plate, maybe this is going to be its best chance ever. Of course, ground conditions will play a big role. Well, it's amazing because the other thing that's the the the, uh, the fly in the ointment this year, Mister Vladdy's too smart. The five million dollar mile at Randwick mid October. Oh. <laughs> you reckon they ever got a circle around that race? Jeez, yeah. he, he, at Randwick, and he's a dual dogcaster winner. So beautiful. Well, that's your answer. You just summed <laughs> it up for me, Rolfie. All right, we uh, we always let our members ask us questions because we're not here without our members because our members support us each and every week. We send their members or members best of the day from Melbourne and Sydney, and our Group One members often get a uh, bonus podcast, and we're going to again. Uh, we found some real try- trial nuggets recently for our members, including Bonus Nachos. Uh, Vince, was uh, you, you put a big stamp on the way it trialed on a bonus pod mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was fantastic. We'll get to him and some nice trialers from last week that we'll do as a bonus podcast here. So Troy's asked, Aegon looked visually impressive in the PB, Lawrence. Do the numbers back it up, and is he in for a good prep? So let's have a look at some of the others. Uh, Vince, probably in that bracket that I suggested there between second and sixth, what what your thoughts were from uh, from the beaten brigade? Okay, this is uh, 
So Aegon's run third here. Uh, it yeah. did get third okay. lane advantage, but, uh, you know, I mean, you were very keen on saying to make sure it was in your multiples and your race speed profile Saturday morning. Yes, yes, yes. Well, here we go. 3.8 lengths below benchmark through that first section. Unfortunately, that's a good speed, Ralphie, right? But unfortunately, it's not going to get you victory if you're going to have a massive move in the mid-race. Yeah. And this is and this is the challenge, right? The mid-race squeeze is only 9.8 lengths. But again, just stating that fact, between the 8 and the 400, they've gone six lengths faster than standard. So by the time you hit that point, you're in a lot of trouble in terms of being able to hold on. But I have to say, this runner was really strong all the way through the line. I felt there was a little bit of a dip coming around that turn. But the reality is, overall, 1.6 above standard for that last 200 metres was a big plus for me. A 1.5 overall IVR figure, third best of the day. Obviously, that's big. And if I compare it again to Sandown, they all came out of that same run race, Ralphie. It was slightly behind, only a length behind. But (laughs) if we we go further back than that, I mean, this runner from a first up point of view, I don't feel it could have gone much better. And if I say what's the difference between winning and losing, even if you were maybe a a length closer, you probably still don't get the victory. But you know you're in for a huge campaign. What did we learn about attrition? I mean, there was money for it. I kept on thinking, well, I know this horse has got upside, but, gee, he's either out the back, and this is probably where Aegon ended up, or if they ride him to win, they're going to have to ride him out of his comfort zone due to the high pressure that was likely in the race, the high pressure came. So for him to go outside of his comfort zone and still run well, I think he's a horse who, you know, could be real, real dangerous back to the handicaps. Well, the big test unfortunately for this horse was and this is this is where again horses can really evolve it's because a very lightly raced horse yeah 0.9 above benchmark that first thing it's when you look at it just in its raw nature you say okay well that's nothing special but for this horse that's the fastest the horses have gone right yes and then in the mid race 5.4 above you look at the history it's never gone that hard in the midsection and when it's gone close to that like the the closest it's ever gone to the plus five in the mid was a, a race at Geelong back in January of this year, and that was 3.1 above off a, a race shape of 3.4 below. So nowhere near the same intensity. In other words, this race had four lengths more intensity, and this horse was able to still run two and a half lengths faster in the mid than what it did that day at Geelong. So entitled to sort of tank out and not finish quite as well as maybe some people would have liked. But the reality is, the scorecard says it all, 0.9 above. This horse is absolutely up on last campaign and is in for a really strong preparation. Now, how far is it going to go above the 1.5 peak? My initial trending of the graphs, Ralphie, that I've put up already on this horse is my expectation is I do feel this horse could probably reach somewhere between plus two and maybe plus three at best at the moment, which in the right races is going to potentially make you great money. Uh, let's have a look at some of the other highlights from the card. And uh, uh, Well, we can't can't beat self-interest, Vince. It's always trying. Let's mm-hmm. have a look at race three, Varvia. Gee, we, we've put a big stamp on this horse on, on its past two starts, this track, this distance. And probably when I ask you about its performance and Blake Shin's ride, um, 
a bit of learning. When it, it was three fifty out to three eighty, there was a bit of four dollars available on Betfair. But when it hit the line, the robots, it was three dollars on the tote. They have smashed this horse. And why? Track distance. James Cummings, Blake Shin, good times. It was just the box ticker that the robots love. Really, really betting heavily on. And uh, it wasn't narrowly, but climbing stars shown some potential. And um, Varvia, what it did was just run to its numbers that it's been doing. Well, Ralphie, you're right. Self interest, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I couldn't believe oh, yeah, that was a Nakati one. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was a dead set A grade bet for me. And of course, I couldn't help but think when I look at the VAR VIA, I look at VA. You know, Vince Nakati said, "Is that an omen?" <laughs> That's what I thought, right? Just, just as a as a joke. Yeah, I wouldn't um, change my betting style just because I think that. But the reality was. You, it was impossible not to be super confident on this horse. You'd only had to look at that last run at Caulfield. Plus 1.5, best of the day. We're at the same track and distance. Whether it was dry or wet, there's no way you couldn't back it. That's how I felt, right? And I even said to myself, even if you come in a length below that profile, you won't miss the top three, right? Yes. And at the beauty was it's run plus 1.3, fourth best of the day. And then I look at the breakdown and I say, what a great performance. 4.6 lengths below benchmark through the first section. A little bit softer than the Caulfield run last start, about a length and a half slower. But in the mid-race, it did go plus 1.4, slightly better than what it did at Caulfield at the previous run. Didn't quite have that same finish though, Ralphie, right? 2.7 above overall last 400 compared to 4.7 the start before and again it was a little bit of a taper over the last 200 meters compared to the last run and the only reason why i'm comparing it is it does give you some visuals about i don't believe this horse is going to peak any further and either could hold its line or trend in the negative yeah so this was the day to back it Whereas Climbing Star, nice first up run, and it's showing little glimpses of talent with the big market sport. It's probably got upside. I love that run, Ralphie. Really, yeah. really loved it. I'm, I'm no doubt. I'm hoping that you're going to put that in your Sizzlers report, <laughs> right? I mean, what a great product. I, I still don't get. People should be absolutely getting on that. I mean, you just have a look at the that those reports you generate, Ralphie, and the data that comes with it. That's what helps generate race speed profiles right yep and you have a look at the performance across all three states it was very very strong on the weekend for what the cost is of the product and the amount of riding you do right and the detail that you go to it's it is so crazy not to have that as part of your armor over this even if you just do it over the next 10 weeks 12 weeks you will get unbelievable benefit from it and it's proven over the years. I don't know how, how many years you've been doing the Sizzlers, Rob. Yeah, I reckon we've done it for six years now, maybe five. Six years, years, five years. I reckon. I reckon more, but anyway, six <laughs> years, right? The amount of winners that have been found from that, and the insight and the confidence you have, you can have, is like second to none in my view. And I'm and I'm not being biased. I'm I'm keeping it absolutely real. Make no mistake, Ralphie. I look across everything that's going on in Australia. I have a number of, uh, you know, I have more. I have many people, you know, peers that are in the same game. Everyone says that there's no way there's any better data than what we have. And then you wrap it up in a report. I remember the days when I used to do it with the guys from the punter show, you know, 10 years ago, a post-race report. 
how challenging that was and what we used to charge. <laughs> we used to charge $55 for one meeting, Ralphie. <laughs> You're charging not much more than that for the whole month. Is that right? Well, it is. Yep. So then that, that's we, we're passionate about what we do. So it's, yep. it's good to be able to impart that knowledge. And if people uh, want to get on board, they, they, they should because it's the best information you possibly can get. Including and your, the beauty your is I'm, I'm, we're not far away. We're making some changes to the post-race report. Yep. That hopefully in the very, very near future we'll be able to pass on to you, Ralphie, so you can, you know, really showcase it and highlight. And there's going to be some real gold and uh, intel that's going to come from that over and above what's already there. And um, hopefully we're going to be able to take it to a whole new standard and maintain what I believe is, you know, absolute cutting edge when it comes to getting insight on performances of horses. And it stood the test of time. It stood the test of time. My own personal bank account as well, Ralphie. Yep. I mean, I'm a That's big believer in that. If 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 I haven't gone into the negative for the last seven and a half years, that's a sign. That look, I'm no, you know, super, you know, multi-billion-dollar punter, right? But I've been able to maintain a margin each and every year, and that's purely off the work I do. I'm a purist. I only look at sectional times. I don't. When I say I look at sectional times, that makes up the outcome of all the performances. It doesn't mean I don't look at riders, trainers, trends and all those things, but ultimately I'm just using the tools and that's sectional times and the benchmarking. Well, you just touched on jockeys here because in, in Melbourne at the moment there's a clinic being put on by two guys, Blake Schindler yep. we've touched on and Damien Lane's the other one. And, oh, how good is this? Oh, we need to form an intervention and stop him going back to Japan whenever he's meant to go back. It's, yep. He's just too good. And I just want to ask you if here from race four, I know it's a benchmarking race, but because one of our members has asked this uh, from Darren, just like some clarity about we've, we've touched on the way the track's played, but uh, in the 1100 shoot races compared to the others, were there any advantages winners came from? He's a part owner of River Noir who ran third and a good rebound there. She was terrible first up and when had good market support, but Peter Moody backed her up in 14 days and uh, he obviously put, poured the water work into her in, in running third. Two things with the winner and the second horse. Wave Rider Boy, uh, my take was... Sometimes you just can't make a 1,200 horse, an 1,100 horse, particularly deep into its prep. And Vivian, reverse, this horse couldn't have run 1,100 down a well when it was a younger filly, but now she's clearly strengthened up and Damien Lane just let her run. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that makes a lot of sense to me, Ralphie. The track really from the shoot races compared to there wasn't really anything tremendous in terms of differences when I look at the the profile and like what took place in those 11 1200 meter races you you get yourself into a situation it, what is this is it is it even really a turn right when you're coming out of that shoot no no it's a straight line it, it's just it's just yeah. a straight line see you're in you <laughs> Don't have to make much move to stay in those lanes, right? Yeah. And if you're on speed, it's very, very hard to run down any of those horses. There's only one runner all day in those shoot races that came from back. But I'm, I'm, if we get a chance, I hope we'll talk about that in race yeah. seven, Ralphie. Right? Is was the lanes. The lanes made the difference, but Viva uh, VAV came out of lane twelve. Vivian came out of lane fourteen, 
So they were both on pace leaders. They were part of the lead pack as far as I'm concerned. But they were smart so, enough not to hug the fence, Vince. This is a, a switched-on rider. Well, that's when you're switched on, correct. Yes. Now, if you're in a, a slowly run race and there's no chop out, like if you're coming around a turn, as an example, between that section of the track between the 600 and the 450, or 350, which didn't happen this weekend, right, right, the played off, Ralphie, the reality is that's exactly where you want to be. If you can yeah. be three, four off the fence, you're in a golden position and you, you've almost got the best of both worlds. And if there's pace and pressure, how are they going to run you down? Yep. And this is what's happened, right? But still, you've got to perform, right? Ultimately, yep. you've got to be ready to go as well, which is really important. And if I look at that Vivian, right out of the gate, 0.3 above benchmark. Then that explosion between the eight and the four, which the track helped do in my view, going plus 5.1, it's hard to put up a much better performance than that. Because when you have the explosion in the mid and you're running, even if you're running two, three lengths below benchmark, you're going to be completely exhausted by the time you get inside that 300-metre mark, and you probably can't use the lanes to your biggest advantage because you're done. Yeah. So 1.1, that's a good performance and probably as good as – no way she could have done that as a filly over 1,100 metres. So that's, no, that just no shows way. you strengthened up. She's absolutely – she's going as good as she's ever gone. All right, so let, oh, you mentioned that. So the, as far as the fillies are concerned, Skirt the Law was a Magic Millions winner. Charm Stone started deep favourite in a prelude. Uh, wasn't right on the day. They they decided to spell her. She trialled like a bomb leading in, and she raced very well as, as well. How did the fillies uh, stack up on the clock at race seven? Yeah, now Charm Stone, uh, obviously the stable had a very big opinion of this horse, and... Wow, you know, like when you just sit back and you look at it firstly on the on the, on the scope of things, to produce a 0.5 above benchmark and get inside that top 10 or, or it was the 10th best performance of the day, that's that's already a real big plus, Ralphie. And then I look at what it did. Two lengths below benchmark, very difficult to win under that scenario with the way especially when the race is sustained. Like, I mean, that lead speed, two and a half lengths faster than Stan, they're moving, Rolfie, right? Yeah. Still maintaining that same pressure between the eight and the 400, travelling around, you know, that the pack was travelling around that three lengths above benchmark. And this runner's sort of had to come from behind, go 3.7 above between the eight and the four, and then not many horses were able to produce that finish, though, over the last 200 and 400 metres, and this run has gone plus one. And I went back and had a really good look. Initially, this horse was going to score a lot higher for me, Ralphie. Like, I looked at it initially and said, geez, you're looking like a plus three horse, but is that really right? So I went back and, and then I realised, okay, well, the lanes, you know, like, wow, you come from 19, there was only one other runner, which... Now I get why that horse won. This is Jimmy the Bear in the last, and that came out of lane 20. But those two horses took the honours in terms of the widest part of the track. I'm still not going to knock the performance, right? Yeah. But I had, I had to drop it from where it probably would have been had that horse been four lanes. If that horse had done the, the raw performance from lane 13 or 14, we've got a plus three horse off that run, Ralphie. That's big for Philly. That, that would put you right in the top 10 in Australia. 
It's a good start. All right, and and just quickly, as far as uh, we spent a bit of time here on Caulfield, we love, oh. love talking about good horses. And, and but, geez, Cylinder was lucky to win, and when you win by an eyelash, that's luck. Uh, but was there anything on the data to forgive it? Because gee, you know, deep odds on favourite. Uh, there was a fair chance, you know, there was a mindset. Well, it's going to come out and just smash him. Its trials were electric leading in, and it was workmanlike. Is there any chance he left it at the trials? Maybe, and he was flat. Um. Yeah, it's it, no. It's a. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving some, you know, good thought to what you're saying there, Ralph. And I'm just trying to understand myself, like what's taken place. All right, so we've gone two lengths below standard through that first section. No real uh, booming sort of move in that first section compared to a number of other races on the card. The second part that I look at is okay. No real move in the mid-race. Like, I mean, it's uh, 0.1 above, right? Yeah. And then last uh, 400 metres was 2.1 above. Now, maybe the whole strategy around the weakness of what's happened is there has been a, a, a significant marking in the slowdown between the four and the 200 of a couple of lengths. And I, I've sort of mentioned in the past, when you're first up, to have the slowdown never really works in your favour, Ralphie. Now, the horse did rebound with a plus 2.3 last 200 metres. And if you look at where it won from, it didn't wasn't as favourable as some of the other runners on the day. But I felt that, now that I'm looking at this carefully, is we have to take a bit of consideration to the slowdown. And it's compressed. Everyone still had plenty of energy over the last two and 400 metres. Therefore, it's going to make it a tight finish unless you've got huge class advantage. And then I just look at the final thing. Okay, last campaign, you came back first up at Rose Hill and you produced a 0.6 above and here you've come back benchmark. We allow for, mate, I mean, even if we just allowed half a length for that slowdown between the four and the two, that puts you on the 0.6 level, right? Yeah. It's probably closer to a length is what you're going to have to allow. So, this horse has come back as good as last campaign, maybe slightly better, maybe. But you've got to remember, last campaign it peaked at 1.4. And I guess, and, and it's got goals ahead too, so yeah. it'll just be interesting what uh, whatever. Yeah, let's see. And also, um, hasn't got blinkers yet. No, the, the Cummings team are very good at using the blinkers, amongst other <laughs> other things they're good at. Um, and just to put a bow on it, Alistair asked, what's the figures look like for Charm Stone? I was at the track. She seemed like a very nice filly. Frosty gave her a wrap, so Vince has covered that. Uh, all right, let's have a look at Ranwick, and we'll start off with uh, with um, uh Daniel's uh, questionnaire, great supporter of ours. Um, Ranwick speeds the 400 rule, very slow all meeting. Was this due to wind or track conditions? So how did Ranwick play, Vince? Ranwick, yeah. Oh, there was big wins, Ralphie. Yeah. No question. And it was absolutely evident everywhere about that as well. So not a lot you can do about it when you have that sort of setup. But in terms of overall, when I look at the 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 final breakdown of what's actually happened is eh, not much you're going to do. I mean, look how bad the win was to the 800. I mean, the average was like 7.82. But if I take away even a couple of the isolated uh, scenarios in terms of race shape, and there was probably three or four, three or four races that had that, it still brings it in at around minus five, five lengths or 4.8, which is probably very close to the mark and then to the 600 metres where I thought everything was really clean maybe with the exception of one race it was demonstrating about a 1.8 negative and this is obviously a lot to do with the wind and 
we still were on some, you know, there was still giving the ground, Ralphie. There's no doubt about that. And then you get some, you get some bonuses in the home straight. I can't believe how people didn't realise that you know the best part of the track. It's always been there. <laughs> when the rails are the true, you need to be six to twelve off the fence. And if you're not in that spot, you will not get the maximum advantage. And then you just look at it, right after race one. Everything's come from anywhere between six and ten, which is perfectly, you know, that's exactly how you need to ride that track to get maximum efficiency. And and the scoreboard also reflects that. That part of the track was a couple of lengths faster. So no surprises as to the way the track played. Uh, they obviously didn't play to the <laughs> initial forecast of slow seven because in that straight in that straight it was quite uh, quite significant. And you can see this in your IVR report. So uh, we'll we'll look at the group one. Obviously there was three links between three point one links between the first ten. Uh, Fangirl was a horse I was very keen on Vince until that wet track. So the query was whether she could uh, how wet the track was. In the end, the class prevailed. I think. I think I'm right in saying no horse other than Animo has beaten her in a mile on a good track. <laughs> in a group one, sorry, in a group one on a good track. So 1400 mile doesn't matter. She's just a rip up. She's only one narrowly here, uh, but as you've said, it was a slow tempo, big build. So what do we learn from it? Well, again, talking through my pocket, I was very happy. Yeah, because I, I really did feel that this was going to be an extremely hard horse to take to beat, particularly if the grounds were drying. And this is what we had, right? We we opened up the day and was already inside. They, I don't think they adjusted the track any further than S7, but my view was that we were running a lot better than that. We were running... Oh, I should just mention this, Ralphie. We were running S5, S6 maximum. Right. That but Bottom line, that's what we were doing, which is you know fantastic. And this is what happens. When that track doesn't get any rain on the day... We we can expect it, just improving. Here we are. I mean, let's think about this here. 16.1 lengths below benchmark first section, all due to the wind. But then... <laughs> so, sorry to butt in. We're comparing the big races to big races. That means the wings compared to the Lawrence one by Mr. Brightside, this is a 21-length slower race. <laughs> yeah, and if you love Crazy. it. Yeah, and if you love it, like it, that first race you trial that it had... Yep. Back on the 21st, it was travelling 15 lengths below. Right. So, right. so it was going bench by barrier draw speed. And, the, he's, and this is why horses run true to themselves. In That was my first indicator this horse had come back well when I looked at that trial. The move between the 8 and the 400 was 15.1 lengths, and here we are. The move is 15.3. <laughs> and the difference is this. The horse gets another trial in. And I know while I mentioned this, right, when he compared to Zaki, because Zaki had one less trial, right? And I, and I sort of know why Zaki has the one less trial, because I, I feel it's very hard to put condition on that horse when you look at it, right? Yeah. And just get, understand that that beast. But the reality was, Zaki, Fangirl's gone plus five last 400. And when I compare it to the, both trials, uh, 2.5 last 400, the Rose Hill and the Canterbury was 3.1. So... It brought it where it needed to bring it on race day, and man, it was like absolutely in the A1 lane, right? Perfection about where you want to be, and all you need to do is win, right? It yep. didn't end up with a monster score in the end, plus 1.3. That's give or take where this horse usually returns, so it's going to be in for a huge campaign.
So what do we learn about Princess Grace? I mean, Brett Preble said it himself. He couldn't get into the best part of the track. So it's inside the lanes. It's run huge. This is its second local prep. Well, I only gave it two runs. I remember when it had its first up run at Randwick when we were doing the preview podcast, you said, this is a horse with serious talent from the States. Uh, so surely there, it's in for a good prep too. It is for sure. <sighs> um, very similar scenarios like... <sighs> It's always hard when you're in front of one horse, but you don't finish in front of it in the end, right? And yep. yes, there is some advantages because of the lane differences, but the reality is it was a bit more than just that. It, it also didn't finish off as strong overall. Like you just look at those micro splits, Ralphie. Van Gogh had it beat everywhere and gave it a bit of a head start. And not a big head start at length, right? But even if we called it even... Overall performance, 0.9 above. That's fantastic from my point of view for Princess Grace. I needed to see something good. It's already outstripped what it did at Hawkesbury last campaign because it only had the two Australian starts. And we can have some confidence that their horse is trending in a in the right directions. And then I look at the trials. I felt that maybe, just maybe, the reason why it didn't quite have the same finish, even if... You know, putting aside the lane finishes, right, that last trial, I don't believe they got any real benefit out of it. Like, it was almost a wasted trial. They went 14-6 first section below and then 11.8 between the 8 and the 400. So it was just a 400-metre trial. That's only half a trial, Ralphie. Yeah. Doesn't quite get you battle ready for a first up run so yeah would the stable be happy for sure now can it take the next big step that's what we're looking for this campaign can it do it is it ready time will tell um all right now what i'm going to do we'll wind that up now now bonus not just was terrific we're going to explain about it we're also going to explain about a couple other little ones in our bonus podcast and also look at a couple of good trialers from earlier uh from last week as well in our bonus podcast you're going to be a group one member to get that so if you want to be a member via my website racetrackralphie.com.au click through the links because we look after people who look after us we're independent we're corporate bookmaker ad free and uh and as such we need our support of our members and we thank them so much and what we do we thank them by our little bonus preview podcast. So for that information, you can get it as a, as a member. Otherwise, in the meantime, please thank you so much for listening to our year-round carnival podcast and all of Vince Cardi's work via dailysectionals.com.au.